Good morning, church. It's been two weeks since I've gotten to tell you that I love you, and so I've, I've missed telling you that. I love you, church. I appreciate you so very much. Uh, this last week, uh, Holly and my boys and I were at uh, Camp Blue Haven, had a wonderful week there, spent some great time with some wonderful young people teaching uh, some teenagers, uh, lost count of how many baptisms we had last week, but saw so many young people put Jesus on in baptism, and what a wonderful blessing that is to witness, including one of our own McDermott Road students, Will Snook, was baptized into Christ. So if you see Will, uh, be sure to congratulate him and his family. So exciting. But yesterday, we took the long drive back, eight hours family road trip. On When you're tired after a long week at church camp and you're driving back and you're doing a series entitled Family Road Trip, I thought maybe we'll get some illustrations uh, with, with this road trip. So just to remind you, we've been doing this series over the last few weeks, starting at Mother's Day, we'll end on Father's Day, but we've been talking about how some of the questions that we have a tendency to ask on our family road trips are very similar to the questions we ask in life. The first question, of course, that we asked is, are we, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Then we ask questions like, whose turn is it to drive? We ask, should I stop or why don't you stop and ask for directions? Last week, Dave Stevens uh, filled in. I so appreciate Dave. And he talked about what can we do with all of this baggage but I was also thinking about some of the other questions that were asked on family road trips, and some of them weren't really genuine questions. They were more like threats, right? You remember those kinds of questions? Like, like this question, do I need to pull this car over? Um, and I'm not saying there weren't any moments like that yesterday, but I am saying I'm not allowed to share those with you. So, but but I, will share, I will share that that question was asked to me plenty of times when I was a kid, and we were on family road trips. Of course, I have three younger sisters, and my dad made it clear that when he, not if, but when he had to pull the car over, we were all getting spankings. It didn't matter who did it. Indiscriminately, we were all, we were all punished. But it, it does bring up an interesting, an interesting thought, doesn't it? Not just with family road trips, but just with life. That children need discipline, that we all need discipline. But when we think of that word discipline, we, we tend to just think about punishment. And I want us to kind of broaden our perspective on discipline and realize that it's not just about punishment. In fact, Christians, Christian families, Christian parents, Christian people should have a unique perspective on discipline. You should have a unique perspective on discipline. And I think that this is applicable to all of us, whether your parents or grandparents or your, your children. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to embrace a unique perspective on discipline. So in order to, to kind of understand that, let's talk about the Greek word that we translate as discipline, and it is paideia. The Greek word is paideia. And one of the ways that that word was used in the ancient Greek world was the complete system and process by which Greek children were trained and educated with the goal of them reflecting the qualities of the ideal citizen. So it was the entire system by which young people were trained 
and educated with the goal of them becoming the ideal citizen. We want them to be ideal citizens of Greece, and in order to accomplish that, they need to go through this process of paideia. That was one of the ways that that could be used, and it, it pertained to all kinds of areas, areas like academics, and physically training, and musically training, and socially training, and culturally training. And that kind of training, that kind of paideia, that kind of discipline has two sides to the coin, doesn't it? On the one hand, there is the, the positive side of it, the teaching, the instruction, the saying, this is the way you need to be. These are the kinds of things that you need to do. These are the kinds of qualities that you need to have. And on the other side of the coin of discipline is the negative side, the, the correction to say, not like that. Don't do that. This is not the kind of behavior that you need to practice. This is not the way you need to talk. This is not the way you need to think. But it was an entire process, an entire system by which young people were trained and educated. And that word could also be used for what parents do and are supposed to do in raising their children. It, it pertains to you as a Christian because you need paideia, you need to be taught, educated, and trained, but it also pertains to Christian parents who need to give discipline, paideia, to their children. Let's look at one passage, Hebrews chapter 12, and see how this works on both sides of it. One, as, as adult Christians, as adult followers of Jesus, or as teenage followers of Jesus, receiving discipline, paideia, from God, but then also parents giving paideia, discipline, instruction, training to their children. Now, the Hebrew writer is writing to an audience that's wondering, why am I going through this? Why am I suffering? Why does life hurt so bad? And, and what the Hebrew writer says here would absolutely destroy what we now call the prosperity gospel. You know what the prosperity gospel is? The idea that is so natural to religious people that if I'm, if I'm good... If I love God, if I, if I live a pretty good life, God will bless me with comfort and wealth and health and my life will be pretty nice and easy. And that's just the way that, that life works for God's people. And the Bible says over and over again, that's just not true. That's just not true. But, but we tend to wonder, why, why am I going through this? If God loves me, why am I suffering this way? Specifically, these Christians were suffering persecution. Why am, I, why am I being rejected by my family, by my friends, by my community, if God loves me? If God loves me, isn't my life supposed to be comfortable and easy? Listen to what the Hebrew writer says. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline, the paideia, of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines, there's the verb form of paideia, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So the Hebrew writer quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and says, Have you forgotten? This is how God treats his sons. 
his children. This is how God treats those whom he loves. Not necessarily that God causes these things to happen. God wasn't causing unbelievers to persecute the church. But he was allowing them to suffer that persecution. He was allowing them to go through that suffering. And their natural response was, does that mean God doesn't love me? Does that mean God doesn't care about me? Does that mean I'm not really God's child if he's not protecting me from all of this stuff? And the Hebrew writer says, to the contrary. It's the opposite of that. God is allowing you to go through this because this is your paideia. This is your training. This is your training. This hard thing that you're going through right now. You didn't want to go through it. You didn't foresee it happening. God, again, didn't necessarily cause this to happen. And it's not necessarily because you're being punished for some specific sin. It, this is your training program. It's your training program. And God allows people to go through training, through discipline like this, because you're his kids. Because he loves you. This is what a father does. Verse 7. It is for discipline, paideia, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, without paideia, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Did you catch that? The Hebrew writer says, if your life is comfortable, if you're at ease, if hard things aren't happening to you, that's when you better start worrying. That's when you ought to say, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Why doesn't God allow me to go through these hard things? But when you are going through these hard things, as we all do, as we all have, we have a new perspective on suffering. We have a new perspective on pain. And we say, God is allowing me to go through this because he loves me. He's treating me like his child. He's training me. He's training me to be something that I'm not yet. He's shaping me into something that he wants me to be. What if we adopted that mentality with our life? But he also says, this is what parents do for their kids, isn't it? Parents are supposed to do this for their children. They're supposed to put them through paideia, through discipline, through instruction, through hard things that make them better, that form them and to shape them into people that they're not yet. God does the same. He allows us to go through teaching and training and correction. Look at verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live and live? He's saying, if we submit ourselves to his training program, if we submit ourselves to this and we allow this suffering and pain and hardship to shape us and form us, we will live. God isn't doing this to be mean to you. God isn't allowing you to go through this because he hates you. God isn't allowing you to go through this because you're not his child. He's doing what every father does, what every good parent does. He's allowing you to go through this because you are his child, because he does love you. 
And if we submit ourselves to it and allow him to shape us and form us through it, we will live. Verse 10, for they disciplined us, our parents, our fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Here's the thing. Discipline is always toward some goal, some purpose. And God has a goal, a goal for our lives because he's a good, he's a good father who loves his children. And if he just, if he just spared you from all the pain, Again, God didn't create a world of pain and suffering. We, humanity, created a world of pain and suffering. But he doesn't prevent his children from going through and experiencing that pain and suffering because he wants you to be holy. And you're not there yet. I'm not there yet. But discipline is always towards some goal. The Greeks had a goal. They wanted their kids to be ideal citizens of the city. That was their goal. That's why they put their kids through discipline. God has a goal for his children, and it's holiness. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be different. He wants you to be set apart. He wants you to belong to him, and he's allowing you to go through this, whatever this is, because he loves you. And he knows that through this process, you are becoming more of what he wants you to be. But let's apply that also to parenting. For those of you who are parents, we need to have a goal for discipline. Discipline has a goal, has a purpose, has a plan. It's towards some end. But what, what's your goal? If you're a parent and you're disciplining your children as you should be, then what's your goal for that discipline? What's your purpose for that discipline? What are you trying to accomplish here? We need to, we need to know and be very clear and intentional with what is my goal as it pertains to training my children, correcting my children, disciplining my children. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Again, we have paideia, discipline, but then we also have gymnazo, trained. Gymnazo, like gymnasium, right? Like a gym. That's what training is. It's hard. It's hard. And people, not me, but other people that go to the gym that say things like no pain, no gain, right? You have to go through painful things in order to gain, in order to be what you want to be. But you need to know what is that. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to know that God is training us towards something. And that no, no training, no discipline seems pleasant in the moment. Of course it doesn't. It hurts. It hurts. And God hurts with you. And he knows it hurts. He knows it's painful, but he allows you and me to go through these painful things because he's shaping us, he's forming us, and later it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But we also need to apply that to our parenting. 
Because it's really easy, isn't it? As a parent, it's really easy to sort of rescue our kids from every painful thing, to sort of rescue them from everything. I know I have a tendency to do that. Oh, don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't do this. Because I don't want them to hurt. I don't want them to suffer. But sometimes, sometimes, that pain that leads to something better is actually good for them. But we need to know, what, what is it? What is it that we're training them towards? What's the goal here? Because discipline always has a purpose. Punishment, on the other hand, doesn't always have a purpose. You can punish without a purpose. You can punish without a plan, but you can't discipline without a purpose, without a plan. You need to know, what is the goal here? What are you trying to accomplish as a parent? You need to know what God is trying to accomplish in you. He wants your holiness. He wants you to be just like he is, righteous like he is. That's his goal with you, but as a parent, what's your goal with your kids? So here's three things to understand about discipline. Number one, discipline is focused on the future, not merely punishing the past. With punishment, we could just punish what, what they did, what someone did. That's, that's not always God's goal here. We tend to go through hard things and say, what have I done in the past that God is punishing? That's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. Just like a good parent isn't always just about punishing the past, they're about looking to the future, saying, who do I want you to be? Sometimes that is about what they did in the past, but it always has an eye to the future, to say, who do I want my kids to be? What do I want them to know? What qualities do I want them to have in the future? Discipline is focused on the future. Punishment is just about the past, but discipline also has an eye to the future. Number two, discipline involves a specific goal and plan. Training towards what? What are you training towards? If you go to the gym every day, you, you probably need to know, what am I training to be? What do, I want to, what do I want to be? What kind of a person do I want to be? What am I disciplining myself towards? It's really hard to discipline yourself or discipline someone else without a goal or a plan. Sometimes as parents, we're just reactive. We're just reacting to what they did do. And we don't have a mind and a focus towards the future a goal and a plan for what we're trying to accomplish with our discipline. So number three, discipline is determined by a parent's morals, not mood. I don't know about you, but that stuff's on my toes. Real discipline is not about the mood you're in. It's not about how much food you have or haven't had. It doesn't matter whether you're hangry or not. Discipline is not about that. It's not about your mood. It's about your morals. It's about what, what is right what is wrong? What is good? What is bad? What are you trying to accomplish here? What's your goal here? What needs to be celebrated? What needs to be applauded? What needs to be taught? What needs to be corrected? What needs to be punished? It's about your morals, not about your mood. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 where we began today. Ephesians 6 verse 1. Of course, Paul says here to children, he says, children, Obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, that's not just for little kids. That's for all of us. All of us who are experiencing paideia, all of us who are experiencing discipline, we need to submit to the discipline of our father. Sometimes we need to submit to the discipline of our parents, honor them. And children need to honor their parents, obey their parents, and receive the discipline. Why? Because it's for your good. Listen to Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 1. This is from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And this is what Proverbs 12, 1 says. The one who loves instruction, and that's our Greek word, paideia, the one who loves instruction, or the one who loves discipline, loves discipline, loves instruction, also loves perception, understanding, But the one who hates reproof is foolish. Foolish. Again, I don't know about you, but that steps on my toes. That hits me right between the eyes. Because so often, I don't want reproof. I don't want to be corrected. I just want to to seem right. I just want other people to think I'm right. And God says, no, no, no. I want you to be right. And in order for you to be right, I've got to correct you sometimes, Wes. I've got to show you where you're wrong. And if you're really wise and not foolish, you'll receive it. You'll receive correction. You'll receive discipline. You'll receive instruction. You'll receive training. And so if if you have parents who are disciplining you, be wise and receive it. It's a wise thing to receive discipline and instruction and training because it's toward a goal so that you can be what you're not yet, what you can be, what you should be. And everything that's shaping you and molding you and forming you in that direction, receive it gladly. Again, sometimes that comes from parents, sometimes that comes from God, sometimes it just comes from life situations, but anything that's shaping you and forming you into the person you should be, receive it gladly. Don't reject it, it's foolish to reject it. Instead, receive it and be shaped and formed by it. Verse 4 of Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We could spend a week just right there. Do not provoke your children to anger. We said two weeks ago. Can you imagine what a radical thought that was in the first century? Fathers, you need to care about how your children feel. Not just what your children do. Every father was concerned about what their children did, but you need to be concerned about how your children feel. And you need to not provoke them to anger. You need to not be a tyrant. You need to not be a dictator. You need to not pound your fist. You need to not provoke them to anger. You need to bring them up. Nurture them. It means like feed them. Feed them with what is good. Nurture them the same way you put food in their mouth. Give them what? Discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction. But it's not just discipline and instruction. Nearly every parent does that. That's not unique to Christianity. 
Nearly every parent gives their children some form of discipline and instruction. They're all shaping towards something, forming towards something, whether it's intentional or unintentional, they're disciplining their children. Christian parents, though, need to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Of the Lord, which means what? It means that we are shaping and forming and training and instructing and correcting towards Christ-likeness. For them to walk in the way of the Lord. That's our jobs. As parents, that's our jobs. See, sometimes we're, we're so reactive and we're only reacting to the moment and we're just punishing the past. Really, if we're honest, we just want them to be quiet and behave. But that's not the ultimate goal of Christian parenting. The ultimate goal of discipline is not for our kids to be quiet and behave, but to be like Jesus. That's our goal. If you're a Christian parent, a Christian grandparent, that's the goal of discipline, of instruction. Again, it's, it's easy to just live in the moment and just think, well, I just, I just want them to be quiet right now. I just want them to behave right now. And I understand that. But we have to keep in mind the ultimate goal. Because you can punish without purpose or without a plan, but you can't discipline without a purpose or a plan. Towards what are you disciplining? And so many of us, if we really stopped and th thought about our parenting, we're disciplining our kids to be great consumers. We're disciplining our kids to be great at academics. We're disciplining our kids to be great at, at, at athletics. But we're not being too intentional about disciplining them towards Christ-likeness. That's what our discipline should have as its ultimate goal. What are we trying to accomplish here? Which means we would ask questions like, what kind of behavior do I correct? If I'm disciplining towards the way of Jesus, if my ultimate goal is for them to be like Jesus, then what kind of behavior do I correct? How do I correct that behavior? Because the question of what behavior I correct is just as important as kind of behavior do I praise? Or what kind of behavior do I insist upon? We all have things we're willing to say, I want you to do that, but I'll let it go. I'll let it go. I'm not going to die on every hill. I'll let it go. But what kind of behavior do we insist on if we are disciplining our children towards Christ-likeness? What sort of routines do we have? I don't know that there's anything that is more formative and shaping and disciplining and training than routine. What do our routines say about the goals of our discipline? But this is not just the goal of disciplining our children. It's also the goal of disciplining ourselves. That's the goal that you should have, whether you're a parent or not. Your job as a follower of Jesus is to discipline yourself to be like Jesus and to receive the discipline that you receive just out of life and that God allows you to go through. Receive it in such a way that you say, I have as my goal for myself to be more like 
Jesus. And if this is our goal, both in the way we discipline ourselves and in the way we discipline our children, then we have to treat ourselves, and especially treat our children, the way Jesus does us. Which means it's not just all about correction. It's not just all about punishment. Is that how Jesus treats you? Is Jesus all just about discipline or punishment, rather? Is he all just about correcting the bad things you've done? Or does Jesus give you all kinds of grace? Brody did a wonderful job this morning reminding us of the grace of God. That's how Jesus treats you. And if we as parents want to discipline our children to be more like Jesus, then we have to treat our children the way Jesus treats us, which means with a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of love and a whole lot of mercy and a whole lot of forgiveness and a whole lot of compassion and a whole lot of care. Because our goal for ourselves and for our kids is not just that we all be quiet and behave, it's that we be like Jesus. What can you do today to discipline yourself towards that goal? And what can you do as a parent to discipline that goal? Are we keeping that ultimate goal in mind? If you've been baptized into Jesus, that's why we were baptized into him, isn't it? One, to receive forgiveness and mercy and grace and compassion from God, to be adopted into his family so that we are now his children, but also to begin the process of walking in the way of Jesus, to receive discipline, to be more like Jesus every single day. And maybe you haven't made that decision yet, and maybe you're ready, ready to be adopted into the family of God. It's not always going to be easy. It's a training program. There's discipline involved. But at the end of the road, at the end of the road, in the resurrection, you will be like Jesus. You will be glorified with him. You will be pure and spotless like him. That's the end of the journey. And if you're ready to begin that journey with Jesus, then now is a great opportunity. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. Our shepherds meet in the prayer room after service, or you can come forward now. And together we stand and sing this song.